morning the topic fake news and we've been dealing with as scripture points out to us without rehashing everything we've talked about is fake news is essentially a false narrative that's created in the media today to try to hook you and get your attention with a false story or a false bias in a story in order to make you believe a certain narrative that the media wants you to believe and so we see the same dynamic happen in the spirit realm the bible is very clear that, uh, that there is an enemy, his name is Satan, there really is a Satan, a Satan, a devil, and in the realm of the spirit, he also has false narratives that he wants people to believe. If you believe his lie rather than God, in fact, if you believe a lot of his lies about God, uh, if you don't know the Lord, you'll tend to be kind of standoffish. Well, God is a judge, God's vindictive, God is this and that, and why do people suffer and all that kind of stuff. We never look at our own sin, <laughs> we never look at the mess that we're making, we always just kind of point the finger at God. Well, that's the devil's rationale. And if he can shut you down in that false narrative, then you will never open your heart to a God who loves you and a God who can actually make your life work and make life work around you. Uh, so that's that false narrative. And we talked last time about him being an accuser. And, and again, you can listen to the message online if you like. But kind of in that same vein, what I want to talk about is kind of the other side of this fake news. I want to talk about some of the true news. Because the thing about the fake news uh, is the good news is the bad news is wrong. That really is the good news, amen, that the bad news, it is wrong. If you just take time to explore, if you take time to investigate who really Jesus is, God's heart toward you, according to the scriptures, uh, you really begin to see a whole different image than what's been painted to you by uh, the enemy of your soul who comes to, as Jesus said, he comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to plunder your life. He comes to make you waste your life, fill it with stress and so on. Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full. I've come to give you an abundant life. So this morning uh, is Thanksgiving Sunday, and I thought it would be maybe appropriate to consider this morning uh, what I consider to be a phenomenal trait of God, and that is his love. And, and the essence of God's love is the fact that he cannot help but give. That really is the heart of who God is. If you understand his word, if you don't believe the enemy's lies, God is a giver. He loves to give. Now, that really is contrary to a lot of people's perception of God because people see God as a judge, you know, that he is, uh, uh, and he does exact judgment in a fair and righteous way, uh, but he's not just a judge. Uh, neither is God uh, just, you know, peace or, or even, even uh, you know, joy. Uh, he's not correction. He's not a lot of these things people think. If there's one passage of Scripture that, that tells us the essence of who God is, it's in 1 John chapter 4 where John simply says this, God is love. That, that's the essence of who God is. He is love. And the, the primary trait of love is its absolute selfless givingness. I know there's no such word as givingness. My autocorrect wouldn't accept it, but I just have this red line on my computer. No such word, but I'm making it up. Because really the essence of love is the absolute givingness of God. Our scripture is James chapter 1 verse 17, where James writes these words. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father, or coming, <clears throat> pardon me, is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or there's no shadow due to change. What James wants us to understand is that everything that comes to us that is good gift, every perfect gift, he says, it is an extension of God's glory toward us. Now, when you look at that word glory, in fact, in the, in the Hebrew, in the original languages, the word glory is never used in the sense of a radiance. 
when it talks about God's glory coming toward us or God's glory being upon us, it's talking about the fact that the glory of God is the extension of God's person toward us. So he doesn't just send you light. He doesn't just, just send you a, a feeling. You see, when we worship the Lord in his presence, we're not just worshiping some vaporous kind of ethereal spirit. We are worshiping a person. His name is Jesus because he says, I come and I dwell in the midst of the praises of my people. So when we worship the Lord, he's here. He's always with us. But our spirit begins to open to his nearness, just like when you, you, know, you have somebody in the family. You know, it's a long weekend, so some of the university kids or family are coming home. And when they walk through the door, you know, you open the door, the doorbell rings. What do you do? You, you, you open your arms, don't you? You extend a welcome to them. Oh, it's so good to see you. And so for any of you, you know, this morning who may feel like we're kind of crazy here raising our hands, because i got to tell you, the first time I went to a church where they raised their hands, you know, I just thought they were kind of flaky. I thought, okay, I can handle this for one service, but I ain't coming back. But I began to understand the reason why we raise our hands. It's, it's the same gesture. It's as the Holy Spirit begins to move in our midst and we sense his presence and his love. We're just saying, Lord, I welcome you. I just, it's so good to see you. Welcome home, you know? And we, we embrace him because he is a person. And that's what James is talking when he talks about the light of God. So John says this, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now John links these two words or James does rather, these two words, gift and light. And it's just to say this, I believe. When he says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, it comes from the Father of light, who never changes. He's always the same. He's saying that gift and light he wants us to understand is that when the Lord shines his light, when he extends his person toward us, that it's actually his presence that becomes the gift. Does that make sense? He's not just giving us a gift. Like, it's not like God says, oh, you need 100 bucks? Let me create 100 bucks. Here you go. Or you need a healing? Let me kind of get that all set up there, and here you go. Here's your healing. No, what he's saying is that when the light of his person comes to where I am, then that light becomes the gift that I need. That's why we sing that old song, he's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Now, there are different ways that he can meet my need, but he is what I need because he becomes the answer to that need. And that light that James talks about that comes from God, it really stands in striking contrast when you think about it to our lives. Because most of us, if not all of us, we live a life that usually alternates between light and darkness, right? Uh, you know, it alternates between happiness and frustration, joy and disappointment. In fact, some of the times that we are most aware of our need for God is when we find ourselves, or the need of his light, is when we find ourselves in the shadow of a particular situation or a particular season in our life. But what I find in the scriptures, the beautiful thing about this verse is James is saying that the shining of God's light toward us, it is, here's another bad word, or another incorrect word, it is uneclipsable. If you can see my computer screen, I got red lines everywhere. I just make them up. But he is uneclipsable. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, the eclipse happens, right, when one heavenly body moves into the shadow of another heavenly body. That's how you get this eclipse, this blocking. But James is saying that with God, there is never a, a lessening of his light. I'm just kind of laying a foundation, but I want us to grasp this. He is saying that you need to understand that whenever you find yourself in a shadow, he is not. Whenever you find yourself in darkness, He's not in darkness. 
In fact, there's a wonderful scripture in the Old Testament. I think it's Isaiah. I'm just kind of guessing, but it just comes to my mind that it says that the Lord makes darkness his covering. He makes darkness his covering. In other words, when you find yourself in a place of darkness, the Lord's not afraid of darkness. He comes into that darkness as light, and he just kind of creates this this uh, covering around you. It's like in that season where he knows it's dark for you and you need strength or you need comfort or you need grace. He just comes and envelops you. So he moves into the darkness and it's, it's as if as he covers you where there can be peace and ministry going on, he just, he just fights off on the other side. He just beats away the enemy. The enemy is coming to clobber you and he just becomes that covering for you in the midst of your darkness. So even when we find ourselves in the shadows, we need to remember according to the scripture that he is not in the shadow himself. He is light. Neither is there any moment when anything can block that light of his person actually reaching us. The Bible says in Micah, though I sit in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Anybody ever experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? That's what he's saying. You may find yourself in darkness, but even as, you, as, a, as David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear what evil intends for me. I will not fear what the natural circumstances seem to be imposing upon me. Why? Because I know you are with me. You are light, and you bring light into that darkness. In fact, the Scripture says if we trust the Lord, that he will guide us step by step by step. You may not see the whole picture, but he will guide you each step to take so that you're able to begin to walk through that time. Now, I can allow myself, figuratively speaking, to be kept in the dark, going back to what we've been sharing the last couple of weeks, if I choose to believe Satan's lies. Again, Paul says that the God of this world, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, okay, he has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. And, and that can happen to us believers as well, because there can be seasons where we choose to believe the lie, right? And if we choose to believe the lie rather than the truth of what the Lord would say to us, then we become enveloped in that lie. And so we have to be careful of that. But even though that is the case sometimes, I can be kept in the dark if I believe those lies that keep me from seeing the light of God, the greater truth is that I can never get into a shadow where his light does not reach. That's important to understand. No matter how shadowy, how dark it may be, I can never go anywhere where the Lord cannot reach me. Didn't David say that in the psalm? He said, where can I go with that you aren't there? If I go to the depths of the earth, if I go wherever it may be, there's nowhere I can go that I can hide from you. You are there. I was talking with a a Christian brother not too long ago, and, and he was just sharing how depressed he was feeling, and, and he just felt like he was going to have a nervous breakdown. And we didn't talk that long, actually, and there was really no magic in what I said, but as I began to share some words the Lord was dropping in my heart, some scriptures, some things that the Lord was making real to me, it was just so beautiful to see that as he opened himself to those truths, that the heaviness just began to lift. And, and it didn't mean that the, that the circumstances were going to change overnight, but there was an awareness now that God's light was shining on him. He had a sense that, okay, I can begin to see something different. I, I can begin to sense some direction and hope. And so, friends, we need to understand that no matter where we are and what we're feeling at the time, there is no shadow into which God's light does not reach. Now, it's wonderful to know that God is loving. It's wonderful to know that, that God is giving toward us. But I think it's also important that we understand a couple of things about how exactly God gives. 
I think one of the first things we need to understand, and I'm a big Christmas fan. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I apologize for this, Pentecostal folks. I love Santa Claus. I, I, I just love everything Santa. I hope that doesn't offend you. If it does, get over it. I, you know, I, I, just, I just love all the Santa Claus represents. I don't worship at the shrine of Santa, but I so appreciate everything he represents. And yes, there is a Santa Claus, okay? Because I, I think I heard a young voice here, so just to be safe. But God's not Santa Claus. And what I mean by that is in the sense that, you know, sometimes we believe that God's like Santa Claus, and that if I'm not good, I'm not going to get anything. You ever feel that way? You ever believe that? Or, or here's something we do. You probably don't do this. You're more spiritual than me. But if I really need something, then I make sure I'm good for at least three days. I don't know why three. It sounds scriptural. It sounds, you know, superstitious, whatever. But I got to be good, and then I'll ask God. You ever do that? Now, I know we don't really believe that, but we think that way. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that God does not punish us as we deserve or repay us according to our sins and our wrongs. That's a good place to shout amen. Okay, it's true. Listen, what that means to me is this. There is always something good from God available to you, no matter where you are or what you have done. His light still shines on you, and he is still prepared to give you good things. You may remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. He said, your father in heaven makes his sun to shine on bad and good people alike. And he gives rain to those who do good and to those who do evil. So God does not deal with us according to our sins and according to our wrongs. But I want us to understand, neither is he a parent who just speaks empty threats. You know, if you remember when you were younger, I mean, this happened to me. Uh, I was a good child generally, but I heard these words a couple, more, you know, a couple times. If you don't behave, you're not getting anything for Christmas. And have you ever hear that? Did you ever say that? I think that's just kind of in our, our DNA as parents. Some, you ever notice that when your parents, like, all of a sudden you just start saying stuff? Like, was that hidden deep, you know? And then when you're a parent, all of a sudden it unlocks, you start, you, know, you start, you know, channeling your parents or something? Well, that's what kind of happens. You know, if you're not good, you're not getting anything. Then what happens? Christmas morning, you get everything. And so you know, you kind of learn. That doesn't mean a whole lot. What I want us to understand, God is neither of those two ways. What I want us to see this morning is that there's a powerful principle that Jesus taught that has to do with responsibility and it has to do with responsiveness. That God is a good God. God is a loving, lavishing God. As we sang, that's who you are. That's who you are. You are a good, good Father. But I want us to understand this morning that while God pours His love out on us, while God wants to lavish on us of his bounty, that's what we're reminded of on Thanksgiving Sunday, just the bounty of God, the beauty of God, while God wants to do that, even if we haven't earned it or don't deserve it, he does it with discernment. He does it with wise judgment or with discrimination, which is not a bad word. He does it with discrimination, with perfect wisdom. Jesus teaches this principle in Matthew chapter 25. In this story, Jesus is actually talking about himself. He's talking to the disciples about how he is soon leaving them. He's going back to his father. And uh, while he's gone, he's going to entrust to his church just the gifts of God to be used for the kingdom purposes and that when he returns, that we will give an account for how we've used those gifts. And he shares the story of a wealthy man who had servants and he's preparing to go on a trip. 
Before he goes on the trip, he brings together his servants and he shares with them all of his wealth. Literally, he's taken all that he has in charge of his property and he's proportioned it out to different servants. For example, to one servant he gives one talent, to another servant two talents, to a third servant five talents. Now, a talent is just a sum of money. Some translations would say 100 pieces of gold or 500 pieces of gold or others would say five bags of silver. Whatever the amount is, a talent just speaks to a sum of money. So he discharges all of those things to his servants before he leaves and he leaves it to them to be wise with the investment that he has given to them. But again, he's essentially taking everything he has and dividing it to them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've read that story when I was younger, I would think, well, that doesn't seem fair. That God is giving more to some people than to others. And because I really misunderstand what's going on here, I have a tendency to look at people in the church or people in the kingdom and to think that, well, just certain people seem to have an advantage over me. Do you ever feel that way? You know, I mean, if I had their gift, or they just seem to, you know, spiritual things seem to just come easier to them, or they just seem to have a natural inclination toward this and this. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, you look around, right? You're looking at me. What are you thinking? <laughs> I've got way more than him. You know, whatever you're thinking. But don't we think that way? Again, this is the way the devil works, to shut us down. To always make us think somehow that we are disadvantaged. I would just do more if I had more. You know, I, I would do that too if I was like you, whoever you're thinking of. Well, it's easy to miss two things in this story. First of all, in verse 15 of Matthew 25, Jesus says that this wealthy man, the master of the house, when he had the three servants, gave them different amounts, he says, he gave them according to their ability. And the second thing we see in this story is when the man returns and he asks the servants to give a record or an account of how they've managed his wealth, we see that the master of the house, he actually exercised perfect discernment in how he distributed his wealth. For example, to the one whom he gave five talents to, he came back, and what did the man do? He had five more. You see, so it wasn't a coincidence. The owner knew the level of responsibility and responsiveness of that servant. You see, when the master was standing with these three men, he did not think this. Oh, well, you know, this guy's really sharp looking. He's got a great personality. We have a lot of fun together. I'm just going to give him more. I'm going to give him an advantage over the others. Or, or, you know, this particular woman, well, she's, you know, maybe not as smart as him, or he's not as smart as her, whatever. So that is not what entered his mind. Jesus says that his reasoning was simply this. He recognized the character of heart in each of the servants. He knew in advance by watching them how they respond to him, how they respond to the chores, the responsibilities he has already given them. And so he knows that. And so we see that with the man that he gave one talent to, what happened? The owner comes back, and we see he's perfectly justified in giving that servant just one talent. Not because the master would not have liked to have given him more, but he knew his character. And that was evidenced in the fact that when he comes back, the one who has one talent didn't do anything with it. You see what I'm saying? So the master knew, and he based his judgments on discernment, not on any bias or prejudice against that person. And I believe that Jesus is teaching this principle that the God who is ready to lavish his gifts upon us, even if we don't deserve a thing, he does it in a way that we know before, he knows beforehand the choices we are going to make. Now just think about that for a second. 
He knows the choices that we are going to make. Now, again, in our human way of thinking, we look at this and we think, well, if God already knows what I'm going to do, then doesn't that mean I have no choice? There's a doctrine in the church, we call it predestination. And people say, well, if God foreknows, doesn't that already predestine my choice, that I have no choice? No, that's not what it means. What it means is that God has a slightly higher IQ than you and I do, and He already knows in advance the decisions that you are going to make. He knows already the result of your choices. He knows that. But here's the key. What you need to know is that God's nature is love and that God in no way predestines anyone to be lost. God in no way predestines anyone to fail. God in no way predestines anyone to be irresponsible or to live sloppy. God no way predetermines anything that will hurt you. Everything in the Word of God speaks by way of predestination in a sense that it pertains to a positive blessing. When the Scripture talks about uh, uh, predestination, it says those whom God foreknew, those whom He knew would choose Him, would respond to His love, that to them He has predestined the whole world. He's predestined the glorious gospel. He's predestined eternal life. He's predestined all the riches in Christ. That's what He has predestined. He's saying what's predestined is everything I've won for you, done for you, it's right there. I have predestined that whoever chooses that, you get it all. That's what I've predestined. My predestination, my foreknowledge in no way limits you to anything. What God has predestined for every one of us is an enormous inheritance. That's what he has predestined. God's desire for you and me is when we step into eternity, as Scripture says, we will have an abundant inheritance, an abundant entrance. That's what God has predestined for every single one of us. Our problem is when we sense somehow, or we believe the devil's lies, that somehow we have received less than somebody else, or we feel like somebody else has an advantage over us, then what do we do? We respond in a way where we begin to live in a way that we don't expect much from ourselves. Do you hear me? That's where the enemy shuts us down. We serve a God who has given us everything to enjoy. What will the devil do? He'll get your eyes on somebody else. Oh, well, they got life easier than you do. Oh, that's true. I probably shouldn't expect a whole lot from myself. They, they, they can sing better than you. They, they can speak better than you. They, they just seem to be naturally more spiritually inclined than you. God kind of, isn't that wonderful? You see, if anything, God does things in people around us. Why? That we might spur each other on to good works. That's why. What God wants you to see is, yeah, I'm doing this in them. You know what? That means I can do it in you. In fact, if you talk to anybody that God is using, what would they usually say? Man, it's just the grace of God. I mean, I love God, I'm walking with God, and so on, but you know what? I don't know why he chose me. I don't know why he's using me. I just let him use me. It's that character of responsiveness, and God is able to use them. So when we think that people have an advantage over us and we live accordingly, then we have to ask ourselves in integrity, well, then why would I expect God to waste his gifts on me? If either I'm not going to use them, or I'm going to misuse them for selfish reasons. That's what James says. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And maybe you're here thinking this morning, well, Paul, what hope is there for me? 
Because the reality is sometimes I am selfish. Sometimes I am stupid. <laughs> Do dumb things. Sometimes I am unbelieving. Sometimes I'm all of those things. What hope is there for me? Friends, if you forget anything else this morning, remember this. Your hope is that you can come to God and you can say, Father, change me. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope. We can come to the Lord with all of our screw-ups and say, Father, change me. Computer didn't catch that word. Change me. The Bible is very clear that this is available to every one of us. Proverbs 4 says, The path of the righteous is like the sunrise, getting brighter and brighter until daylight has come. The Lord is saying, listen, my friend, no matter where you are, no matter what age you may be, no matter how much water under the bridge, it doesn't matter. No matter what you've experienced, what you've gone through, however messed up you may be, you start right here with Jesus. You start right here with God the Father who loves you, who has good and perfect gifts for you. You start right there, and as you open yourself to that light, your life becomes brighter and brighter and brighter until you experience just the radiance of God's... It doesn't mean it gets easier, but it gets brighter. There comes purpose, there comes direction, there comes, there comes fruitfulness. Everything in God's word insists that I am not trapped in whatever my present tendencies may be. There's always room and opportunity for me to become more and more of what God has for me. That's what you discover when you, when you read the word of God. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Friends, the Lord wants us to understand this morning, he is not just a good God. He's not just a God of bounty and of blessing, a God who loves to lavish things upon us. He says, all things are open to you. But the first thing you need to do to benefit from the givingness of God is you have to grasp that he's good and that his gifts, they never end. They are boundless. We are the only ones who put the limitations on them. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is 2 Peter 1. Peter writes these words. He says, Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us what? Everything we need to live and to serve God. Listen, the next time the devil get you looking at somebody else and say, oh, I'm not a spiritual, I'm not, whatever. No, say, devil, God has given me through Jesus everything I need to live for God and to serve him. We have these things. Why? Because we know him. Jesus called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, he gave us, read it with me, the very great and precious promises. He's given us promises. With these gifts, you can share in God's nature. What gifts? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of light. And the reason for these gifts is that you can actually begin to share in the nature of God, that you can be like him. Why? That the world will not ruin you with its evil desires. You see, one of the reasons why we're so tempted by sin is because we don't understand the goodness of God. There ought to be something within us, an automatic default when temptation comes. We just say to the devil, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You mean I would leave all of this for that? Are you kidding me? Not going to happen. And it doesn't mean we don't have struggles. But we need to understand again the goodness of our God. All that he has for us. And why do we want to throw that away for something that's only going to bring death or darkness into our life? The first thing God wants us to learn to receive is his promises. His word. And, and I just find it, we're, we're so predictable in the way we respond. 
I, you know, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I need such and such. And the Lord says to us, I give you my word. What do we say? That's not what I asked for. No, no. You see, I need a car. Or, or I need you to deal with this person. Or I need an answer to this situation. Or, or I need some money. Whatever it is. And the Lord says, I give you my word. Lord, I don't want your word. I want the thing that I need. You know, I mean, which is understandable, right? Because we're only talking about the God who speaks and things come into existence. We're only talking about the eternal God. Why wouldn't we doubt his word? Right? We're only talking about the God of whom Scripture says that all of his good promises come to pass. Nothing fails. When, when God speaks, it comes to pass. And yet we still doubt his word to us. I think one of our problems, I'm not going to harp on this this morning, one of our real problems, friends, and we don't understand how profound this problem is and how, how disastrous it is in the body of Christ and, and, and in people's lives, believers' lives. Our primary problem is this, is we just don't know the word. I can promise you, friends, it all begins and ends there. We don't know the word. And what I mean by that is if you don't know the word, it doesn't mean you have to memorize the whole Bible, but if you're not in the word, if you don't know the promises of God, then when need arises or fear arises or concern or you need direction, what's the problem? You don't have any promise to correlate to the need. But when you know the Word, when you spend time in the Word, even if you just have the practice of opening the Word on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit is able to lead you to that. You ever go to a bookstore? This happened to me once. You ever go to a bookstore and you just pick a book, it just seems an interesting title, and you just so happen to open it to a page that is just maybe lewd and crude? Ever happen? It's like, Whoa! Didn't see that coming. What's what the devil can do? He knows every word in that book. He knows exactly where to lead you if he wants to get a hook in your heart or in your mind. Well, friends, the Holy Spirit's the same way. He knows the book. And so if you'll just make it a practice of being in the word, he has an incredible way of opening his word to you and speaking to you, giving you direction, giving you a promise, whatever it may be, for the concern that you have. Now, if you don't know any other promise, I can tell you one that covers just about everything. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know any other promise for now, you can start with that one. That'll, that'll cover a lot of stuff. But the Lord can also speak to you specifically in, in, in times of, of other needs. I want to encourage you this morning to memorize promises. Our scripture last week, Philippians 4 and 8, is, is the case in point. But memorize promises. Because the Lord says, in order to receive his many good and perfect gifts, friends, you need to learn to receive that gift. Do you see the correlation? You need to learn to receive his word, his promise. If you're going to receive any gifts, it begins with that first gift. We need to learn to say, not Lord, just here's my needs. Or, Lord, where are you? I mean, those things, we say those things sometimes. But what we need to learn to say, we need to come to a place where we can honestly say in our heart, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, that's great. I have your word. I may not have the immediate answer, but, Lord, I thank you for your word. Now, some of the old, uh, you know, prayer, praying people of generations ago, I mean, how oftentimes would you hear a woman of God or a man of God stand up and in the midst of a dark time, they would say such has happened, this has happened, and that's happened, whatever. But God has told me. But God has given me a scripture. God has given me a promise. 
and I'm standing on the promise. Even if I don't see it with my natural eyes, I know all my children are going to serve the Lord. I know that. Not because I've, I've just parroted some little you know, Christian uh, phrase, but I've been in the presence of God, and I've opened the word of God, and he's told me it's going to happen. And I pray that I, I see it when I'm alive, but if I die before it happens, I know I'm going to see them in heaven. It is done. The Lord has said. And the Lord is good in all of his promises, whatever it may be. But for that to happen, you can't just take a, a Bible verse off the, you know, little off the table once a month and superstitiously say, oh, this is for me. You have to have a practice of being in the presence of the Lord with his word. So many believers say they want to know the, God's will for their lives. But you know what his will is for us? I believe God's will very simply is that we learn to take him at his word. That's what it is. Because his word to us is what begins to unfold his will for us. It's when we receive the word of God that it becomes transforming in our lives. You see, once you get that process in motion, where you have time in the word, where the Holy Spirit's able to give you promises, and you can meditate upon those promises, and your spirit is fortified, you know what happens? You begin to get your eyes off the issue. You begin to get your eye on the truth of what God promises you. And then as time goes on, as things are set in motion, all the goodies begin to drop. It just kind of happens automatically. The Lord begins to meet need. The Lord does things. The Lord fulfills his promise to you. And it's not always in the way that you think, whatever that need may be. But he wants you to take his word first. Once you see that his word is foundational, the foundational gift, and you receive that gift, then the other things start to come. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Paul said, God richly provides us everything to enjoy. Will you say that with me? God richly provides us everything to enjoy. Now, I believe that simple little scripture, if you want to memorize, uh, start memorizing the Bible, you just memorize that portion of scripture. God has given us all these things so richly to enjoy. Why is that important? Because again, if you're like me, and I think most of you are, I feel bad for you, but most of you are like me. I believe we're on this journey together. We fight the same enemy. We serve the same. I mean, it's just, we do life together. This is life. And life's not always easy, is it? I mean, it's okay. I know we're in church. We're supposed to say everything's glorious. No, life's hard. You discover that sometimes? Life can be hard. And the reality is, deep down inside, I believe all of us have this temptation to think, okay, God has all these gifts he wants me to so richly enjoy. But deep down inside, it's like, but I know there are certain segments of my life that God is really never interested in fulfilling. Right? I mean, I know what you're saying, Pastor. I know all the promises and stuff out there. But deep down, I kind of believe there's segments of my life where God has said, you've made your bed. You lay in it. Anybody honest enough to say that? Either because of what I've done, what's been done to me, whatever it may be where the enemy comes and says, that thing defines who you are. That thing happened to you, or you did that thing. As we shared last week, that may be true, but what's the truth? The truth is every good gift, every perfect gift. It comes down from above, from the Father of lights, who doesn't change. Even though there may be shadows in my life, there's no shadows in him. Even though I may change, he doesn't change. His word, his promise is always true. It's always the same, and I can stand on that. That's what we believe when we don't learn to receive the word. We believe those lies. His word says, trust in God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. 
I want to ask you this morning, we need to close. If you think there's any area of your life that God is not ready and willing to fulfill according to his plan, do you honestly believe when the scripture says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? Now, you probably think, well, Paul, that's the problem. I don't feel like I walk uprightly. Let me just answer you on that. You need to understand what it means to be upright before the Lord. I mean, it means to walk in obedience to the Lord, but please don't misunderstand and think that your uprightness before God just depends on your behavior only. The Scripture says that we stand in the presence of God. Why? Because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why I stand before God. That's why I come boldly before the throne in the time of need. You say, yeah, but Paul, what if the need is because of my own sin? There's another lie. (laughs) You ever do that? I can't go to God with this. It was my fault. Right? That's how we think. But the scripture doesn't say, come boldly before God unless what happened to you was your fault. Or you can come before God if you couldn't help it. It doesn't say that. He says, we come boldly into the presence of God right up to his very throne in our time of need where we find grace and we find help. That's who the Lord is toward us. Even though it's probably the consequence of our own ignorance, our own stupidity, whatever else it was in me that made me miss what God has for me. But God says, here's the answer that you need. Your answer is trust me. Trust me that I have everything I provided for you to enjoy. And that begins to fill your heart with hope. The first thing God wants us to receive is his word. And as we said earlier, the second thing is he wants us to understand what he's really like. Friends, Jesus has predestined your future. But what he has predestined is everything that he's provided for you for you to enjoy. That's what he's predestined. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me as we close this morning, but I want to ask you this question as we do. Where are you right now in respect to all of this? What word from God's word do you need to receive? The Bible says that God is absolutely prepared to tackle whatever it is that is unfulfilled in you. And friends, I say this with all sincerity this morning, and I say it with compassion. But you can lock yourself into your shadow of darkness or whatever it is. You can do that. That's your choice. That's your right. But don't blame God. Don't blame him. Don't believe the lie that somehow he's less than who he says he is to you because of whatever lie you've bought into. You can live in fear if you you must do that. But you need to know that wherever you may be, God's light is still shining on you. And if you will open up yourself to what he's shining on you, that he can begin to transform areas of your life into something that you've never dreamed. The Lord says, listen, don't live in the doubt that I'm not concerned for you. That's a lie. Don't live there. Don't live in the doubt that that area of your marriage has been a problem for so long that it's never going to change. Don't live there. That's not true. Don't think that your child will always be lost to you. I have a promise for you. I have power available toward you. Don't you believe that lie? Don't think that you're locked into your financial situation that is never going to change and the problems that you face are always going to be there. Don't believe for a moment that that certain part of your body is never going to be healed. Don't believe you're never going to be free. Don't let yourself doubt that the living God gives you all things richly to enjoy. God says, I withhold no good thing. No good thing from those who will walk with me.
I want to encourage you this morning if you're here and you believe the devil's lies about you, I want to encourage you, don't keep living in the shadow. Whatever shadow, whatever darkness you may feel that you're in, I promise you there's the fullness of God's light shining upon you, ready to dispel that darkness. If you'll just step out from under the shadow and say, Lord, I just receive your light. I receive your light. Being a little transparent here this morning, but I just had a knockdown Drago time with the Lord in prayer this, this week. I just felt I had to get a hold of God. I just had to get a hold of some things. I just had to deal with some things. And I was, I was a mess. I was just laying before God, just calling out to God, crying out to God. Just felt the darkness, felt the, the, the you know, just felt shut down, locked in, felt like this is never going to change. All this kind of stuff that comes, the enemy just comes and bombards you. And in the midst of that, I just dropped to my knees and I just called out to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, this. And the scriptures come to mind, begin to call out the word of God. And I could just feel, as it were, just, just the shadow beginning to lift as I stepped out and began to declare the truth of who he is and who he is toward me. And the darkness dispelled. And I can tell you with absolute honesty right now that there were things that were plaguing me for weeks, if not months, just always bombarding, bombarding, bombarding. And this morning, I'm hard-pressed to even remember what it was. Completely gone. Completely lifted. Why? Because I understand, as the word of God says, that my God is good. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. I'm loved by him. I don't deserve it, but I'm loved by him. And I want to encourage you this morning, friends, and maybe we can sing in closing that, just that refrain again, you're a good, good father, whatever, whatever you feel. But I want to encourage you this morning. I've said this many times. Forgive me, glad Todd family hear this all the time. But, you know, we mess up. Or we feel like we're in the shadow. Or we feel like we've sinned. Or we feel far from God. And we feel like, I just can't go to God. Simple question. Where else can you go? There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. So like myself this last week, I could just walk through another week and say, well, I deserve this, or whatever the case may be. This is my lot in life. I can believe that lie, and I can stay there. But every thought I was having was contrary to the revelation of God's word. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. All things are possible to those who believe. Right? Believe in God. Believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. But it is so. You can be free. And on and on it goes. The word of God to you, if you'll believe his promise, will begin to set you free. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. Run a little bit late this morning. If you need to slip out, God bless you. You are dismissed. Feel free to slip out. But as the ministry team comes, as, as the worship team leads us, if you're here this morning and you just want somebody to join with you in prayer, people are here to pray with you and just to see that break come, would you just bow your head for just a moment? Let's just bow our head for a moment. Would you just say, Holy Spirit, I receive your word this morning. Just go ahead. I receive your word this morning to me. Every head is bowed. Every head is bowed. We just want to ask you quickly, if you're here this morning and you have never, ever opened your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking religion, I don't care what church you went to, but you know whether or not you know Jesus. And you're here this morning and you say, I want to know Jesus. I want to come out from the lie. I want to be set free. I want everything God has for me because I realized this morning He is good. And I've stopped believing the lie that He's not. He is good. We're not going to hesitate. Nobody's looking around. But would you just raise your hand, catch my attention, say, Paul, I want to receive Jesus this morning. I want to open my heart to him. Anybody at all here this morning, we may all know the Lord, but if you don't, we want to give you this opportunity. It's not an opportunity to join a church. It's an opportunity to open your heart to Jesus and understand the goodness of God toward you and begin to move brighter and brighter into all that he has. 
One last time. Is there anyone here this morning? You just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. All of us have done it at one time or another. I want to open my heart to Jesus this morning. Amen. As we sing this song, if you have a need this morning, will you come? It may even be to open your heart to the Lord. You feel free to come as well. Someone would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I pray this Thanksgiving will truly be expressed from a heart that is just open to God. And say, Lord, you are so good. I just open my heart to you. You're a good, good father. Amen. The Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will remain in our hearts this morning. And I pray that your goodness will just grow from revelation to revelation through the week. And that, Lord, we who know you would communicate that same goodness to those around who for so long have had nothing but bad news. I pray that the good news be lived and seen through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.